Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome to the, another episode of the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I'm Anthony Cazenza, joined by John Sheeran. I think he's wearing a UC shirt for those of you tuning in. Is, am, I, am I right on that? You are 100% correct, sir. <laughs> wearing his UC gear. Uh, join, joining me, as always, John Sheeran. John, uh, how, how are things going? Kind of a weird week of news, both for the Cincinnati Bengals and uh, college football. Maybe that's why you're wearing the shirt, but... Um, kind of an odd week of news all around, but uh, you doing okay? You hanging in there? I think odd is about the most tamest adjective to describe this week in terms of football news. But yeah, it's been a, quite the roller coaster for the Bengals this week, and we're here to talk about all of it. The Bengals made a, a large acquisition, pardon the pun there, on their defensive line. They also had some news with a couple of other players. We'll get to that. We'll talk about uh, some captain potential captain nominees that we have for the team. And uh, maybe if there's time, we'll get to some potential breakout players as well. But we've got a lot to get to. And as always, you can join us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Megaphone, iHeartRadio. Uh, we're always live on our YouTube channel and the uh, Cincy Jungle Facebook page. So join us live if you're able to or get the show after the fact if you are able to if you're if you're wondering what's going on for those of you watching the video and or join joining us live uh if you're wondering what's kind of going on in the background i'm kind of calling an audible from where i'm recording tonight so if i sound a little different i apologize but uh still wanted to be here nonetheless and uh john graciously graciously decided or uh, offered to you know, step in big time for me. So I appreciate, I appreciate his efforts there, John, let's, let's get to the Mike Daniels signing. I'm going to let you do uh, a majority of the analysis here because when I took the air on Monday to do the news dump, um, I, I spoke a bit about Daniels and what he kind of brings to the Cincinnati Bengals, but I guess, you know, surprised it was him because there was some talk about them, the, the Bengals wanting a younger defensive tackle and how effective do you think he can be after kind of a subpar year and him being over 30 years old? Right. When rumors started circulating about Domata Pecco rejoining the Bengals and how there was mutual interest on both sides, I, I kind of got to thinking like, you know, if they're going to go the veteran route, why not go for a, a player who's more suited to fill the holes on the roster that have now been created by both Ryan Glasgow and Josh Tupo leaving. And Mike Daniels is really the first guy that, that I thought of when I looked at the available free agents on the defense, the defensive tackle market. You know, I, I was aware of his injuries, his multiple foot injuries that have slowed down his career up to this point. That's why he missed a decent amount of time in the last two years and why he, had, why he originally got cut from the Packers right before the 2019 season. 
and why he was just a, a minimal player with the Lions last year when he got signed by them right after he was cut by Detroit. So the market for him was understandably little and not very competitive, and that's why he remained unsigned all the way through August. But for what they needed, though, in terms of what they to replace what they lost, I think Daniels makes a whole lot of sense. It made a lot of sense last week, and it made a lot of sense now. For just one year and two and a half million dollars, I think that's the maximum contract amount for a guy who can essentially be a backup three technique and who was a dominant three technique at his peak. I think now you're just looking for about 15 to 20 snaps a game to spell Geno Atkins at that position, get him the necessary rest that they are trying to create more for him this year so he doesn't play 75 to 80% of the snaps at by the time December comes around. I think he's perfect for that role, and you're not putting that much pressure and stress on what could be just bad feet at this point for a 31 year old Daniels, you know, multiple foot injuries for a guy who's 310 pounds and only six foot and has well over, you know, 2000 snaps in his career. That's, that's a lot of stress. That's a lot of, that's a lot of damage and a lot of toll on someone who's had multiple injuries at that part of his body. But now you're, you're not asking him to start. You're not asking him to play big time snaps. You're just asking him to, to play a role that he's played in his entire career in a scheme that's similar to what he did to what he participated in in Green Bay and to now just be a backup and a rotational player, I think it's perfect. And it's indicative, I think, of this entire Bengals offseason where I think you mentioned this uh, a couple of days ago on Twitter. In years past, a Mike Daniels signing would be like the highlight of Bengals free agency. Not only that, but he would probably be signed to start and it kind of matches those signings like James Harrison and A.J. Hawk that we saw in the early 2010s. But now he's like the fourth or fifth most, most prominent name that they've brought in in this offseason. And he's asked to play a role that he can be expected to fulfill successfully because they're not asking him to do too much. So it made sense back a week ago when it, when they were first rumored to be looking at defensive tackles. It makes even more sense now that it's come to fruition. Daniels will be a rotational player. Uh, he did sign a one-year deal. I think it's worth up to $2.7 million. I, th- I think you mentioned that, John. So very manageable deal for the Bengals. Yet a relatively big name and a guy that comes in that can really – help the team. And, and what impressed me about this move, not only what was the, you know, some star power behind the name, John, but what impressed me, you touched on it a little bit was the fact that the Bengals in years past, when an injury hit their team or there was a, a decimation of a position group, they would sit on their hands. They would not really be proactive to help themselves they, they would rely, quote unquote, rely on their own processes in terms of the draft and other guys they've brought in that were maybe undrafted free agents, that sort of thing. They wouldn't go out and get kind of the one of the top guys on the available market at the position that they need. And that's what impressed me about this move. And I do I appreciate you bringing up my tweet. Yeah, I mean, this was this was a move that could have been something that was their crown jewel of a, of a past free agency season. But right now, as we sit here, it's, you know, it's kind of their, it's kind of like business as usual, at least for the 2020 off season. That was kind of impressive to me. Uh, there are, there is some wear on the tires, which is a little concerning, like you mentioned, but uh, all in all, I think it's a, it's a pretty wise move. When you look at this defensive line now, specifically with the, with the defensive tackles, I think everyone who's expected to play significant snaps is in a role that's best suited for them compared and relative to where they are in their careers right now. Geno Atkins is still starting at three technique, but he's not going to play as many snaps. He's, and that is, in theory, supposed to maximize his impact at this stage in his career. And now you bring in a guy like Mike Daniels, who can take the snaps that Geno rests, specifically on passing downs, but he could also be a, a solid run defender at this point in his career as well. So 
he'll he'll have an impact in both phases of the game, but he just won't be on the field as much. Save him so he doesn't have to overplay because of his now durability issues. And then you have DJ Reader, who lost, I think, 30 pounds, according to him, in his press conference earlier this week, um, playing all over the, the the defensive line, going to be in that 70 to 75% snap range, playing snaps at one technique. You can also play three technique as well, and you can also play it at the four-eye or the three-four defensive end position in this defensive front. And then you have Renell Ren, who I think, like, like honestly, the rumors about adding a, a defensive tackle kind of started when Josh Tupo opted out. But I think the Daniels signing is more of a response or can be looked at more as a replacement for Ryan Glasgow because I don't think Daniels is going to be anything else but a three technique. And that's what Ryan Glasgow was when he, at least he was healthy. When Tupo was playing at his best last season and where he played the most was at that 34 defensive end spot at that four eye, that five technique, that, that, that defensive tackle that's almost looking like an edge rusher at that point, but he's just holding a line against that strong side of weak side tackle. And I think that's when that's where Renell Renner will kind of step in and be maybe even the starter when they're in their three defensive tackle packages, which Lou and Rumo said they're going to be in that for about 20 to 30% of the game. That Those are the snaps that they, they needed to replace when Josh Tupo opted out. And I don't think the Daniel signing was a reaction to Tupo because I think they have Renell Ren to fill those snaps and at least that role for at least this this year in his career. So we'll, it'll be interesting to see how he does in that and, and what it will be like when Tupo, Tupo comes back next year. And it'll all be dependent upon how good Ren was filling in there. But I think that fits his skill set pretty well in terms of replacing the snaps that Tupo is going to take. But you look at all four of these guys, I think they're in the perfect roles, the perfect amount of playing time, projected playing time that it is. And if everybody stays healthy, I think the expectations will match the results for these four guys. The Daniel signing you kind of alluded to it is more of a, a replacement for the Glasgow issue. Um, not, not so much the, the, the Glasgow injury issue, not so much the Tupo issue, but regardless, the Bengals uh, did, did a major move to help out a position group that has been decimated. Just do me a favor when it comes to, when it comes to DJ reader, coach Lou, let's not drop him into coverage like you did with Andrew Billings and stuff. Let's, let's let him, let's let him play on the line. Let's let him do his thing. Let's not do pass coverage stuff with with DJ Reader. I, I kid a little bit, but I'm also serious. Let's let's move on. Uh, some some not so great news, John, on the injury front, and unfortunately, for how much the Bengals seemingly have changed their mo in the out uh, the outside free agency spectrum, the injury bug issue, especially to a big name player in training camp, still seems to be a prevalent issue. Trey Wayne's. Uh, has a pectoral injury, what sounds like a either a partially torn or something like that, pectoral in, uh, injury, probably going to miss a couple of months. Now, as we sit here in early, mid-August, you know, two months now, that's really probably about a month's worth of actual games if the NFL schedule starts on time. So, uh, you know, not a tremendous blow. He is getting a, a second opinion. We're, we're, we've yet to find out about that, but he's getting a second opinion. Still, one of the the bigger free agency signings by the Bengals this year, and already a big big injury hits him. And I wonder how much this was foreshadowed with the things that we heard with Wayne's in the offseason. Specifically, I think it was in early July when Sports Illustrated reported that Wayne's agent was a little bit upset that Wayne's was not allowed to conduct an offsite physical, like the Bengals wanted to wait 
And so he was allowed to be brought into the building so they can conduct their own physical on him. And at that point, that was when he could sign the contract that included a $15 million signing bonus. Wayne's agent advised him not to do any type of workouts until he was able to take that physical or he wasn't going to be able to train right. And there a week into work, you know, walkthroughs and what is a pretty much amounts to OTA work in the first week of training camp, uh, Wayne's tears his vectoral and those injuries usually are about two or three months. I think it's with the Bengals specifically, they've had a lot of experience with this injury. It's the one that William Jackson suffered in his first training camp. It's what Billy Price uh, suffered in the 2018 uh, combine. So I, I remember with Price, he was out until about the start of training camp, and Jackson never returned for his rookie season, even though it was r- rumored that he could, but the team activated Cedric Pierman instead during that season. So I think two months is was the initial diagnosis for Wayne's pending that second opinion that he has yet to get or receive. But two months is probably like on the on the low end in terms of projecting how long he's going to be out. Um, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he's put on the physically un- unable to perform list. If not, maybe just straight up to IR with a possibility of returning after week eight. And that's assuming obviously that, that the season lasts that long anyways, but it, it is unfortunate. And, you know, the, I know it's easy to just kind of like blame the training staff for this because these things just keep happening in the most inopportune times in the early portions of training camp. But I would be curious to know what issues and ailments he was dealing with leading up to this. And maybe that's what helped cause it. Very good point on that. And now there, there are a lot of questions that surround this. We'll get to, you know, what the Bengals do next while he's on the mend. I don't know if, if Waynes is eligible for PUP. I could be wrong, John. I don't know if he's eligible for PUP since he has already been practicing, but with so many different rules and whatnot, um, you know, maybe maybe there's a, a loophole there. I, I think a, a player would maybe not have to have had been able to practice um, in order to be placed on that list. If I, That's if a good I, point. Yeah, if I remember correctly. But regardless, there might be a loophole there uh, based on everything that's been going on this offseason and, you know, these teams may not really being able to get a good grasp on how players, uh, their, their conditioning, their, what kind of physical condition they're in, their health, all of that, as they sign free agency deals, Wayne's being one of them. I really liked your point about, was this a lingering issue that was out there as he was approaching free agency or into the spring summer months when they weren't doing many camps? You know, that's a question to be answered. I, I want to bring this up before we go to, you know, what the Bengals do next in terms of personnel they could use to replace him or maybe even a free agency option like what they've done with Mike Daniels and bring in somebody to maybe be a Band-Aid. I I received a a tweet last night, uh, you know, kind of talking about this injury and, you know, why does this happen? And my, my response was, you know, for most owners, you may with these recurring injuries, these same kind of injuries, the ma- the massive amount of injuries to that the Cincinnati Bengals seem to suffer, especially early in the season, as an owner or a GM or what have you, I would it would force me to look at the medical conditioning strength staffs. Now I know those got some of those got overhauled with Zach Taylor coming in, but I still think that that would be where my mindset is. Instead, what I worry about, John, is if this is now another 
piece of ammunition for Mike Brown to say, see, this is why we don't spend the big money in outside free agency. We did it this year and it's already biting us right now. Maybe that's just the old man cynic in me that's seen this team for a long time and has been around Mike Brown Bengals football for a long time. But I worry about that. You know, that the Antonio Brown thing, the Lavernius Coles thing, all of those were things that were harped on by Jeff Hobson and others as to reasons why the Cincinnati Bengals were not active in outside free agency. And here we go. They're they're probably their most active outside free agency period ever. And one of their big guys is already hurt probably for the first month plus of the season. And again, I think a lot of context here has to be with how weird this offseason has been in terms of getting physicals and meeting players. Like, I don't like, I'm, I'm Waynes and Reader, respectively. No, like, they never visited, obviously, they couldn't visit, nor did any of the free agents that uh, the Bengals agreed to terms with during the active free agency period. Um, I think there was obviously an emphasis to spend this offseason because they went two and 14 last year. They're bringing in a first overall draft pick and they need to put some tangible decent product on the field before the whole city turns on them. So yeah, the Antonio Brown thing comes to mind with me. Cause I remember that being like the biggest, one of the biggest free agency acquisitions of my fanhood as a child. And then beyond that, when it didn't work out, they just went dry and cold. And that was a reason why it was heavily speculated, why they didn't go back into those free agency waters in terms of just distributing that amount of guaranteed money towards an outside free agent, but I think there's enough. This this free agency class was active enough in ter- from from their perspective, where even if Wayne's doesn't really work out this year, if they get decent returns from Reader from Von Bell, specifically those two, I think overall they'll look at this free agency class as a success. Whereas in years past, maybe Wayne's is like the only free agent that they bring in, and if he's a ma- if he's a major bust, then the perception of that looks a lot worse if you have nothing else to counter it with. So if reader turns out well, especially in year one, along with bell and their contributions are enough to turn around the defense, at least to an average form, even with Wayne's missing out most, if not all the season, I think they should still with working eyeballs, look at this free agency class as a success, at least in the, in the interim or, or in the early portion of it, where they won't be get cold feet and free agency again. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. Look, Trey Waynes, his his knock on him as a Viking, slow starter. Slow start to his career was a guy that maybe had dry spells towards the beginning and middle parts of seasons and ended up playing well down the stretch of seasons. Uh, in his rookie year, he had, a, he had an uh, outstanding playoff game after really not playing. I think he started one game throughout the entire regular season, played in 15 of them, I think. But uh, he had an outstanding playoff game and then, you know, was catapulted into a starting role from there. But a guy who slow starts, so maybe this is just kind of part of the deal. Now, what worries me, and I said this in a tweet too, I mean, Trey Wayne's missed six games in five years with, with Minnesota, including in, in 85 total contests, I believe, which is which includes the postseason. And now we look at him in first year in Cincinnati, he might be missing close to that amount right off the bat, which is not a good sign, but you know, this could be, if this team gets sneaky and, and wins some games and is in the hunt towards the end of the year, maybe he comes back, you know, a third of the way through the season, midway through the season and ends up helping this team. But before he does, John, the Cincinnati Bengals have some big decisions to make in terms of who's going to fill his shoes. The obvious in-house choice is Darius Phillips. 
as the most exciting kind of boundary corner. He played that role last year when Kirkpatrick and William Jackson and guys went down on and on and on throughout the season. So he's the most in-house, the, the most ready in-house guy, I guess. He still has a, a bit to prove. Then there, I mean, there are some fans and other people saying, hey, dude, Drake Kirkpatrick's still out there. He hasn't signed with anybody. I don't know if that's something you want to, you want to, a road you want to traverse there. But if you were the Cincinnati Bengals, do you, do you go with Darius Phillips or bust? Do you bring in another body? Do you look at LaShawn Sims and some of these other guys? Where's your confidence level and where would you go? I can't think of anything more counterintuitive based off of the, the words and the messages upon signing Trey Waynes. I can't think of anything that would negate all of the commentary surrounding Trey Waynes than bringing back Drake Kirkpatrick because you you could not talk about Trey Waynes with a Bengals fan or with a Bengals coach without bringing up his tackling. Like that's the one attribute that separated him from Kirkpatrick because if you just look at coverage or which is the most important attribute for a cornerback, they're large by and large the same. Now there's more specific scenarios on like third down and situational scenarios where Waynes was more effective and more productive, but they both got burned a lot. Like they both got targeted a lot when they went up against, you know, prominent receivers and specifically in Wayne's in Wayne's case, when he went up against Aaron Rodgers and the green Bay Packers, like they both got exposed. The difference was Wayne's was just a more surefire tackler and better run defense. And that's the reason why they replaced Kirkpatrick with him. So to go back on that, not, not obviously the situation is, is dire because you're not going to have Wayne's for a significant amount of the season, but I just don't think that in their mind they want to go back to Kirkpatrick if that's what they've been perpetrating for this entire offseason. Like, we want to go away from the bad things that Kirkpatrick brought. We want a, a defense that's more sound in terms of run defense and tackle. We don't want to get blown up on the edges by teams like the 49ers anymore. So Kirkpatrick, from a financial perspective, and the fact that he has starting experience makes sense. But if they are going to go with a with a veteran round on the free agent market, I don't think Kirkpatrick's likely. I do think... Darius Phillips is going to get the shot here. They've obviously propped him up a little bit about the fact that, you know, four interceptions and only a hundred snaps is something that you have to keep an eye on. You have to, you have to acknowledge that that's rare and, and there's obvious talent there. And I think this is the prime opportunity for him to prove his worth. Like I don't, he wasn't going to get an opportunity to compete with William Jackson or Waynes for that matter for, you know, snaps on the outside provided that the, both of those were healthy, but now an opportunity has brought, has been brought up for Phillips to kind of take those snaps and run with it. I think they have enough depth right now at that position where they don't have to go on the free agent market to find a cornerback because they brought in LaShawn Sims. They, they retained guys like Tory McTire, Greg Maben. They brought in uh, Tony Brown and Winston Rose, who also Lou Anarumo propped up a, a couple days ago. So they have enough depth to survive Wayne's missing time. I just think if there's an if there's an opportunity for Phillips to kind of prove his worth in his third year, this is the prime opportunity to do so. Agreed. Phillips, you know, flashed last year. He flashed, and uh, there's there was just the consistency issue. Whether that's you know if that comes with more reps or if that comes with you know just he's a gambler, and that's just what it is. How how much pressure do you think this puts on William Jackson now in a contract year, John? There was already immense pressure on him, I think, because if you just looked at Duke Tobin's comments, they were like, he just needs to prove himself. There's no even discussion about extending him this year. He is in a contract year, and I think that's where the team wants him to be. They want him to have that extra motivation to play at his best, because when he does play at his best, 
defense thrives off of it. You know, like in 2017, when he had that phenomenal year, the defense was still pretty good. Like they weren't great by any means, but they were a lot better than what they were 2018 and then 2019, that monstrosity that we saw. But yeah, like there was already a, a lot of pressure on Jackson to begin with because essentially for, for cornerbacks, boundary cornerbacks, when you're on the opposite side of the field, like he's not really worried about what Trey Waynes is doing, except on a handful of plays where those, where those boundary receivers kind of interact and cross over with one another. Like Jackson already had enough pressure in the isolated scenarios where he had to go up against number one receivers. But now we have Darius Phillips out there, a guy that he's played with before. I think there is still a lot of pressure on Jackson, but I'm not sure if this exactly kind of boosts any of that pressure. I think with, with Phillips though, if if the worry with, with Phillips is that, you know, he's still pretty young and he gets burned sometimes on some of those deep routes. Like we saw in that Cleveland in, in the Cleveland Browns game where he made it his only start of the 2019 season. He had an interception and maybe did he have one interception? He, he had at least one interception. I'm, I'm not sure. I don't remember if he had two. He had, no, he, had, he definitely had one, but he, I think Odell had at least a touchdown. Right. Or two against yeah. Him. Phillips had two interceptions that game, but he also gave up two touchdowns and both of them were, I think on long balls as well. So it was, it was the perfect, you know, microcosm of, what can happen at the cornerback position. You can have two tremendous plays, but you can also give up two big plays. And I think that's the worry with Phillips right now is that for as good as he is in terms of ball tracking and getting his hands on the ball, there are going to be times where he just lets the receivers stack on him and and just lets the play get away with him. If that's the worry with Phillips, I think that was already a a tangible and reasonable concern with Wayne. So I'm not sure that that the difference in terms of coverage ability is going to be that big if you replace Phillips with Wayne's. Now, Waynes is obviously, again, a great run defender, and that's still a, an area where I guess Phillips is more modest in. But the drop-off in terms of coverage, I don't think it's as big as a lot of people may think it is, even if if Phillips doesn't have that experience that Waynes brings. The, you know, there are a lot of unknowns with, with Phillips at, at corner, but, you know, th- what you do know is that he makes plays, and uh, I would think that the Cincinnati Bengals probably would cool themselves on an outside free agent acquisition to quell the Wayne's injury because this doesn't appear to be a season ending or a, you know, one of these Glasgow Tupo type of situations where they're not going to be here at all in 2020. This is, this is probably missing a handful of games. Um, best case scenario, a handful of games, maybe more than that. Um, but uh, you know, I, by the way, there, we're getting a lot of kind of sarcastic comments in, in the in the live chats about Kirkpatrick. Look, that's not something that John and I are necessarily advocating for. And I thought John made a very good point: is you bring in Waynes and then you go back to the guy that you replaced him with. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. So we're not advocating for that. But there's a there's a little bit of chatter about Kirkpatrick and or bringing in other outside free agents. So we got to address that, and we did so. Uh, you know, a lot of people, including fans, seem to be really high on Winston Rose. I don't know how much of an opportunity he will get. Seems like he would be a guy that would would potentially be able to shine in preseason games, and then that would be how he makes the roster. Unfortunately, not going to be able to get that opportunity. So uh, it's I'm I'm really really wanting to hear more about how that guy is going to perform because he comes from a very interesting pedigree. It's just a matter of if if he can translate that to the NFL. So uh, as, as we sit here though, just to recap a little bit of the first portion 
of the show and the news we're talking about. Mike Daniels is now on a one-year deal with the Cincinnati Bengals worth up to $2.7 million. We talked about his addition and what he can bring to the Cincinnati Bengals defensive line. Trey Waynes has what seems to be a torn pectoral muscle, should be out probably two months, maybe a little left, maybe a little more, who knows, uh, probably missing anywhere from four to six or eight games. So we'll see how that plays out, but he's he's working through that, and the Cincinnati Bengals are weighing their options. Before we get to a little bit more news and notes, and then to some other segments of the program. Again, I'm Anthony Kazenza. He's John Sheeran. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. One of the small handful of great Bengals podcasts on the Cincy Jungle Podcast Network. You can get that on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Megaphone. Uh, or iHeartRadio, subscribe wherever you get your audio podcast. If you listen to the show after the fact, there is a subscribe button on this YouTube channel. I believe it's right under John's arm there. You can click that, subscribe to our channel, whether it's our stuff or Matt Minnick's Chalk Talk videos that are up on our website. Some great film breakdowns on positional previews and many other things. You can you can get all of that on our YouTube channel as well as our Monday news dump that we do and our listener questions live and all of this stuff is on cincyjungle.com and its facebook page as well so get that how you can john we're going to get to a little bit of scary and sad news as it goes with a cincinnati Bengals player uh john ross has now been uh and you know unfortunately for john ross this is a a a big year for him in his nfl career but family trumped all and uh john ross is leaving the Bengals and has been placed on the, uh, I believe, the COVID-19 list uh, to tend to his uh, son and uh, the, the mother of his son, his young son. If you follow John Ross on his social media accounts, you see his cute little boy that's uh, running around. And uh, very scary thing, I think, I, at least from what I understand, details are a little sparse and really it's none of our business anyway. That's his personal family business. Um, whether they're you know asymptomatic and tested positive or they are showing symptoms or what have you, still a very scary situation. We hope everything goes well for his young son and the mother of his son um, and definitely understandable that he is taking time away from the Cincinnati Bengals um, to, to tend to them, hopefully because they become healthy and this is not, this doesn't become a big issue. Hopefully he returns to the team soon and everything is okay. But John, a, a scary situation and an understandable one for John Ross leaving the Cincinnati Bengals. Like you, you read a lot about, you know, people in nursing homes or people over the age of like 50 or 60, they, they, they get this virus and, you know, the, the prognosis for them specifically with their health concerns is not great. But then you read, the three-year-old kid has it along with his mother and how tr potentially traumatic that is for both of them and for the father of, of that child. And it's, it, it, I, it just hit different. I don't know. Like it, we're, we're five, six months into this and you'd think you'd be a little bit numb to it, but I, 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 I couldn't think of anything to say other than just absolutely terrifying. Like I, I understand what the numbers say about about the virus and the, all the information that we've heard about it and what the mortality rate is for people who are the, the, the child and the mother's age and what all the and all that stuff. I just I, I just can't think of anything else but just I, I'm so scared for him and for Ross and his, his family in general and I wish nothing of the best for any of them and 
you know, we, we, we got comments on, on the CJ article describing that the situation is just terrifying. And, you know, people are trying to say, this is scare tactics. You're, you're, you're trying to make it into something that isn't, you're trying to make it into something that more than what it is. And I just think that's just a great lack of empathy for the situation. Like I understand everything that goes into, you know, the facts that we know about this virus, but who is anybody to say that this isn't terrifying for the people who are actually dealing with it? And I, I don't know. Like it, it just, it just caught me up today. And I had, I had to, I, I honestly, I, I called my mom just to like talk about it because it really, it really got me down. And the, the lack of empathy from, from, from some of these people. And like, I think the common opinion is that, you know, Ross is doing the right thing and, and everyone's praying for him and whatnot. But for anybody to say that, that this isn't, that this isn't potentially terrifying for Ross and his family in general, I just think is incredibly insensitive. It is. And there are, unfortunately, in all spectrums of life and viewpoints, there are just knuckleheads. And uh, there are knuckleheads out there that just don't, regardless of your viewpoints. I mean, like you said, John, you know, statistics are showing certain things and, uh, you know, amount of people, people affected and all that kind of stuff say certain things. But when it comes down to it, we're Bengals fans. I think majority of Bengals fans are pulling for John Rostat to turn his career around. And this involves a three-year-old boy. Guess what I have at home? I have a three and a half-year-old boy at home. Uh, if this was happening to me and my son, I would be devastated. Absolutely devastated. And this is, so when I read this stuff, obviously this hits home for me a little different as well. Uh, you know, so look, I, I didn't, I, sometimes it's best. I didn't actually read the comments. And as you, I'm sharing the screen here of the Cincy jungle article, and I'm purposefully not going to show up those comments because you know, sometimes it's just like, we're, we're just, I don't need to see that. So, uh, look, we hope that everything is going to be okay for John Ross, for his son, for the mother of his son. This is a very scary situation. It is hit home uh, for the Cincinnati Bengals. I mean, you can look at some people may have, and again, you know, whatever viewpoint there, some people may have uh, looked at Josh Tupo opting out and kind of wondered why, whatever. I mean, it's his choice. It's his life. He can do whatever he wants. Uh, this is a different situation, obviously, because these are two people intimately connected with John Ross that have tested positive, apparently. And whatever, whatever symptoms they are showing or not showing, they've tested positive. John Ross is taking a step away from the Cincinnati Bengals. And like I said earlier, John, I, I, I just hope, that he, his return to the Cincinnati Bengals is quick, not because of football reasons, but because his family is healthy and he can, his mind is right because his family is healthy and this situation is behind him. Right. And, and again, I just want to reiterate to claim that this situation is scary and terrifying is not the deployment of scare tactics. It is for the purpose of showing empathy for those who are infected, who, who are impacted by this, because who is anybody to tell anybody that this is only concerning rather than just plain scary and as far as ross goes like take as much time as you need to do whatever you can to help out your family through this and even if they are healthy if you want to spend time with them that's i think everybody should support that because who knows if they're going to get infected again who knows what what situation that they're going to be put back in for ross take as much time as you need Bengals, Bengals fans 
Cincinnati's behind you. Yeah, and I, I mean, at least like you said, if they if they are showing that they are healthy, at least go get all the answers, right? I mean, at least at least make sure you're doing your due diligence and you're getting all the answers to make sure that hey, you know, things are moving in a in a positive direction. But like you said, John, I, I want to echo what you said. You know, we're behind you, John Ross. Uh, we hope your your little boy and uh, the mother of of your little boy are are both going to be well and that you will be returning to the Cincinnati Bengals soon because they are well. And uh, I think, you know, if you're a rational person, whatever your viewpoint on anything regarding the pandemic and coronavirus and everything, I think if you have any sense of empathy, you can give some positive vibes and, and everything to John Ross and his family, because this is probably not an easy thing to go through, I would imagine. But uh, I, I want to echo one thing you said too, John, about, you know, you you, you called your mom about because this hit you a certain way. And, you know, this, this situation, regardless of, you know, if you've had it affect you, your family, your friends, what have you, you know, I think this one thing that this thing has taught us is, you know, life is pretty precious and, you know, you, you got to take care of your family. You got to take care of your friends. You got to make sure you reach out to certain people, even if you're not seeing them in person via, you know, <laughs> via Skype or, Streamyard or how you know, however it may work, uh, you know it's important to reach out and keep in touch with people during this time and make sure that people are healthy and safe and everything. The the timely Streamyard plug right there. <laughs> anyway, uh, our best to John Ross and his family. So uh, you know this this has hit home a little bit for the Cincinnati Bengals, and unfortunately, this may be something that we're going to hear more of. Not necessarily for the Bengals, but. You may hear more about this around the league with certain players and their families, and that's why some of these players have already opted out just to eliminate the, any potential danger, however big or small it may be with this pandemic. But those are some of the news and notes. And by the way, for those of you who joined us Monday, there's been quite a bit of developments over the past couple of days in terms of news with the Cincinnati Bengals. So that's why we did quite a bit of that uh, for the first part of this show. We're going to move on, though. Let's talk captains. John, uh, you are the captain of this ship, my friend. So, um, oh, stop. <laughs> so, you know, you brought this topic up. I want you to kind of take the lead on this, but I thought this was really a good idea on your part because I don't really know what Zach Taylor is thinking in terms of, you know, who are, who are my locker room leaders? You would like to think maybe Joe Burrow, but he's new. You could say DJ Reader. He's new. You could say Geno Atkins. I, I don't know. Uh, there are a lot of different ways to go with this. I think um, we we can pull up. I, I know offhand last year some of the some of the captains last year, Giovanni Bernard. I believe Andy Dalton was as well. I think Geno Atkins was. Um, so those are those are some of the captains there, and understandable for some of those. I think for some, Geo was maybe a little bit of a surprise just because he's a rotational guy and not a starter. But uh, those were some of the captains. But I want you to kind of talk about the captains, the role of captains on a team, and maybe start with a couple of ideas you have for 2020 Bengals captains. Right. So last year, yeah, it was it was Andy Dalton, Giovanni Bernard, AJ Green, Geno Atkins, Sean Williams, and Clayton Fedgelin. Fedgelin was the special teams captain. They're going to have six again, and I think they're going to have pretty equal distribution on offense and defense. It wouldn't surprise me if Geno remained a captain. I think there's nothing really changing on that front. I think you still obviously look at it as a as a leader in that locker room, but more of a lead by example type of leadership role. Um, 
who's going to replace Dalton, I guess, is the big question here. Because it, to, to put the C on Joe Burrow in his rookie season would say a lot about what they already feel about him as just a person and someone who can take con- control and command of that locker room with a certain level of respect as a rookie, which is pretty much the inclination and kind of what we're getting from in terms of quotes about Burrow, at least in the first portion of this training camp. If it's not Burrow and there's that open spot available, you know, you have to think that Green is still getting getting a captain uh, a captain's patch, even though he didn't play a single down last year. He, he was a captain last year. Um, I, I would be interested about Trey Hopkins, to be honest with you, because you have an offensive line that has little to no experience playing with each other, but also just in general. If Jonah Williams taking his first snaps this year, left tackle, Michael Jordan's is entering his second year. Xavier Suofilo hasn't really started very much in lately in his career. And you have Bobby Hart just has been with two years with the team. Trey Hopkins is the longest tenured offensive lineman on this team right now, at least from a starter's perspective. And I think he's someone that is highly regarded in that locker room and someone who's looked upon leadership in that locker room. Again, not maybe the most vocal leader, but I would look to Trey Hopkins to be one of these new off- offensive captains if they want to go three again and keep Green, Green and Bernard as captains from last year. And say like Sean Williams doesn't get the captain um, designation again because he lost the starting job or he's just not as prominent of a, of, a, of a player, at least in that defense. I think the leader in that clubhouse is probably Sam Hubbard. That's someone who's really ascended at, at, even you know at, at just a, as a third-year player someone who obviously was a big part in bringing in Von Bell, someone who's kind of taking command, I guess, of of that defensive line group, someone who's ascended as a starter. And and I think that's a testament to just this new era because of the leadership, the new leadership now under Zach Taylor. And I think it's guys like Hubbard that are really taking the reins, at least in, in this new era with this new wave of young talent. And he, he'll probably, I think be the youngest captain of this group of captains so far. And I guess the biggest question mark is special teams because with Fedulum gone, not only that, but you also have um, Tony McRae gone, who was a prominent special teamer for the last couple of years. Jordan Evans, may, maybe if he, if, he, if he continues to make the team, he'll be one of the most tenured special teamers um, to make the roster this year. But even if he gets cut, maybe a guy like Seaton Carter who makes the roster again as a tight end. He had, I think, the third most special team snaps last year. So they're looking long and hard, I think, to replace someone who can bring the leadership on in that group that Fejlum now took with him to Miami. So I think that's the biggest question mark. I think it's the one that I will have the most trouble in terms of predicting. So I'm seeing a couple of people in the live chat talking about Mixon as a captain. How I'm really trying to word this <laughs> as delicately as possible, I guess. How how comfortable would you, would that potentially make you? Given and and granted, Mixon's been a high character guy since he joined the Bengals. How uncomfortable would that potentially make you, knowing some of the stuff that has happened with Joe Mixon when he was a young man in college? Do you think that's something where you go, okay, Zach Taylor's preached character with this team, and you're you're designating this person as a captain he's got this in his background but he's had you know he's he's had a stellar track record as a character guy in the Bengals locker room as a player no off-field trouble since 
what happened to him as a young man in Oklahoma. I think that's what they're really most concerned about. You know, I think they're obviously well aware of his past because they did a week's worth of research in terms of being with him leading up to that process, leading up to the draft, is, excuse me. I think they're just more concerned about who he is now and what he's developed to as a player. And, you know, when you talk about locker room leaders on this team, like Mixon's always a guy that, that's brought up in the similar vein of, of Sam Hubbard, at least on the, on the defensive side of the ball. He's, a, I guess, the most prominent voice in terms of just like like vocal encouragement, I guess, is uh, without a better way of, of describing it. Um, a guy that but is probably going to get extended before the season begins if, if things uh, fall the right way. It wouldn't surprise me at all. If you, if you Bernard can get the captain last year, I, I don't, I don't see why Joe Mixon wouldn't be able to get one as well. Um, I, I'm not too bothered by his past in terms of making this decision, because again, I think they're more focused on what he's developed into now and what he's will continue to be going forward with this team for the next four or five years. So yeah, it, it is something that you immediately think about when you think about what being a captain is and what that entails and what type of person that usually is. A guy with Joe Mixon's past doesn't normally fit the bill, but also when you look at what he's done since then to kind of repair and regrow his image, I think making him a captain this year would kind of solidify that that growth in, in a way. And, and as far as what they're concerned about, I don't think that that's really in their mind. If anything, it just makes it, more special that he was able to build his way, grow his way up to this leadership role and then be earned and then earn it and like solidify it by earning this captain designation. It's an interesting way to look at it because, you know, I guess the cynic could say, well, you know, why are you putting a captain on that guy's, you know, with his background. But I like what you said in terms of, you know, he's a guy who rehabilitated his, his image and that, Quite honestly, I mean, that's why I almost hesitated bringing it up because it just so seldom gets talked about anymore because he's not a guy who gets in trouble off the field anymore. Uh, and, and this is something that happened when he was 18, 19 years old. And now he's, you know, in his mid-20s, early mid-20s. And it's just something that's so far in the rearview mirror, especially with such a clean record now. Um, you know, I, I guess in a way that could be emblematic of that C on the on the jersey. You know, hey, I, I turned myself around. I just this team gave me a shot and I wasn't going to let it go. And that's what he has done. So, um, you know, that's an interesting, that's an interesting one. What, what new guys do you think maybe could be, um, you know, whether it's rookies, maybe, I, I think Burrow is kind of the obvious choice of the rookie class if that happens, but any free agents that you see reader, Mackenzie Alexander, we talked about Wayne's, maybe that's not going to be something that happens with the injury now, but, uh, a guy like Mike Daniels, um, you know, you mentioned Sue Afilo. Uh, you know, th- there was uh, a couple of others um, in here that I, that I, uh, Josh Bynes, Josh Cook said Josh Bynes, maybe he's a special teams guy or a guy that they think, you know, since that linebacker group is full of young, young guys, maybe he's the guy that's kind of the, the old man that's shepherding them into NFL, uh, in NFL, the NFL world, I guess. I think Von Bell has to be the biggest favorite for that. Good one. Yeah. Uh, as a guy who essentially replaced the role that Sean Williams played last year as a captain. Now, now again, like Bell has some catching up to do in, in terms of creating or in sustaining relationships in the locker room that Williams has established for seven years now or eight years now. But from the early findings, or at least 
what we've been hearing about Bell and how he's acclimated into the locker room and how he's a guy who's very outspoken in meetings. A guy who I think is just going to be just a leader on the field for this defense and playing multiple roles and getting guys lined up in that second and third level of the defense. I think that makes a lot of sense, even for a guy who's who's new here. I think it would it would make a lot of sense for to make him and Hubbard, you know, guys who played together at Ohio State, captains of this team, because they're you know, Hubbard's only been here for two or three years and Bell's got here now, but I think it's pretty clear and obvious that those are two guys that are looked upon in high regard on that side of the ball and, and leadership that's going to be needed for this turnaround to happen. Like they're, they're going to need Hubbard to make a big leap this year as a pass rusher. And they're going to need bell to fill in multiple roles that they really just didn't have anyone capable of, of being effective in last year. So not only is, is their on field performances and improvements needed for the roles that they're going to be playing, but I think their leadership in, in the locker room and on the field is going to be vital as well. And I think it makes sense to make both those guys your captains on defense if if you if you maybe don't want to make Geno Atkins a captain again, or if you just want to have three captains on on the defense side of the ball while you have only two on offense. Really good choice on the Von Bell uh, Von Bell selection. I'm sharing a from a good friend Chris Rowling over at Bengals Wire. Uh, it's, it is a post that kind of relays some quotes from Lou Anarumo that I think were, were given through the the general Cincinnati media. But you know, work work house workhouse. Oh my gosh, workhorse potential and new leader Von <laughs> Bell. Uh, blah blah blah. Uh, but you know, um, here's the here's the quote. Defensive coordinator Lou Anarumo said Von Bell has been a workhorse during meetings. Is a great communicator, great leader. There it is, right there, and a physical guy. Um, I'm just excited to get him in and see him move in live situations. He bring a lot. He brings a lot of energy and juice to the group. So uh, that's from Lou Anarumo in some of these early sessions here. And we've heard that Von Bell has been a guy that has been at the facilities early. He's kind of been um, wrangling the, the secondary together and some of the defensive players together in terms of huddles and, uh, you know, kind of doing the name game in, in early sessions of practices, making sure everybody knows each other and, uh, since there's so many new faces, but really good choice, I think, there, John, in terms of a new face with Von Bell, even though his role may be a different one, and even though he may, I don't want to say will be a rotational guy, but I don't know if he's going to be a three-down guy all the time, but he should be a mainstay on defense quite a bit. I like Chris Hubbard's suggestion in the Facebook comment section. Alex Erickson has a guy for maybe special teams. Um, Erickson might be someone who benefits from Trey Wayne's injury, because if you're playing Darius Phillips more at cornerback, you maybe don't want him returning as many kicks and punts or whatnot, and maybe solidify Erickson's role as a punt return on this, on this team. Guy's been with the team for four or five years now, someone who's a mainstay in Darren Sims' special teams unit. Doesn't really get that much work in other fast special teams, but if they're looking for someone who has better experience at, in, in that unit, I think Erickson makes a lot of sense as well. Any dark horse guys that you can think of? I know you kind of have your slate of guys. I know you mentioned Erickson. We talked about Von Bell. Any any dark horse guys that may surprise you? And by the way, if you say Bobby Hart, that's not going to fly. But uh, <laughs> uh, what? Uh, anybody like like maybe a Jonah Williams? Right? Didn't play last year, but maybe he's the guy that they feel anchors their line, or maybe you know, Carl Lawson, or I, I don't know. Is there a dark horse guy that you said, you know, this, this guy could make a little sense. God, I have something to say about Bobby Harden being a captain, but I'm just going to keep it to myself. Um, dark horse, maybe Tyler Boyd. 
I would think. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So someone that I think has earned the respect in that locker room as someone who's pretty outspoken, I guess, on, on social media about, you know, putting respect on the Bengals name. I think he's like the catalyst in terms of, along with Mix in terms of you know, putting his name out there towards the national media about, you know, we're, we exist too. And we're pretty good too. I think that bodes well for him and gaining popularity and, and, you know, critical acclaim and leadership in that locker room. I'm having such a hard time describing this right now because it's a, it's a dynamic that you just, I, I think you just need to experience in order to describe it pretty well, because none of us have ever been in an, in an NFL locker room or a football locker room of, of this magnitude. So to me, it's kind of like hard to put it into words because we throw out the, you know, the monikers of leadership and on all that stuff all the time, but they kind of just lose meaning the more you talk about it. So it, it's kind of odd talking about it and putting it into actual words that make sense. But I think with Boyd as a guy who has you know earned a second contract here, earned the role to be a starter, someone who's maintained his health and production over the last two years when everything has went bad, you know if they want to go two receivers, a captain along with Green, I think Boyd makes a lot of sense. I love that one as well, and for a, 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 along the same lines as the mix and designation, but a little different. You know, a guy that after. I think it was the 2017 season where he uh, he beat the Ravens on that last you know that last minute touchdown catch at the end of the season finale to put the Bills in the playoffs. But that was a really tough season for Tyler Boyd. And the next year, it was kind of a make or break type of thing for him. Uh, you know, he kind of had a, a a decent rookie year, not a spectacular one, but a decent one. And then that second year just kind of had some problems and issues, and then really exploded. Uh, from there, the last two seasons, thousand yards each season. Now, granted, he's had a few more opportunities because Green's been out quite a bit. But um, you know, a guy that again, kind of a career turnaround, and maybe that's maybe that's the example they use there. It's some good stuff, though, John. I'm, I'm glad we kind of talked about this. This is, you know, it's a little thing in some ways, but designating team team captains mm-hmm. is a is also a big thing. You know, you want to make sure you, you you have guys that are exemplary guys in a lot of different respects, and guys that you are proud to wear that C for your team. And uh, I think there are a lot, a lot of interesting choices for Zach Taylor to make, and that's a good problem to have. You know, so there are a lot of good possibilities there. So uh, good stuff. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. We're going to get on out of here in just a minute. But again, want to remind you, you can get this show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Megaphone, iHeartRadio. You can get it on YouTube and CincyJungle.com. Let's drop the mic and get on out of here, John. We went a little longer with the other items, so we're going to forego potential breakout players till next week. But what do you have, what do you have for us? This, I guess, is a tough week for this podcast specifically in terms of college football because most of our listeners, pretty big, avid uh, Ohio State and just Big Ten fans in general. And unfortunately for my co-host, he's not going to have any Pac-12 prospects to listen to his draft watch list next year. So, rip. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... It sounds like there might be some possibilities of spring or, you know, maybe some of these teams are talking about, oh, we'll get creative and play. I, I don't know. I, I think that that would kind of get messy, um, you know, if you kind of go rogue with the thing. Uh, you know, maybe maybe you do wait till spring you know, once things subside. But a lot of – and it's not just football that is that have been canceled uh, at a lot of prominent colleges. It's a lot of other fall sports that have been canceled. So, unfortunately – that is well you want to talk messy and sit up with leadership there you go yeah that's that's, <laughs> that's that's that in a nutshell yeah that that's a very good adjective for for that uh 
entity. Very good. Very good. I want to, I just want to publicly thank John for, uh, you know, he, he talked, he talked to me about, you know, what are we going to do this week? I, truth be told, I'm, I'm out of town and uh, was kind of a little bit all over the place this week, just because I wasn't fully focused. I normally am fully focused on the show, but John offered to, you know, take the reins and do all this kind of stuff, but I didn't want to put all that kind of stuff on him, but I appreciate it. And as always, a lot of people don't know, but John offers a lot of help and, and brings a lot to the table that may or may not be seen during the show. And uh, I just want to publicly thank John with my mic drop because, uh, you know, I was a little scattered today and this week, but he kind of kept on me and was willing to do a lot of legwork. So I just, I publicly appreciate that, John. I was a little, I was messy today. I was messy and uh, I appreciate you um, helping me out and, and being here as always, giving your great analysis. Well, I think John Miller in the comment section wants to thank me too because I'm the reason why he listens to the podcast so he can skip over my bad takes. So shout out John Miller. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure people do that to me all the time. So, you know, that's that's a badge of honor, my friend. That is a badge of honor for this program. Look, if, if, if my bad takes are driving in podcast listens, I think I'm just doing my job at that point. There you go. There you go. That's the way to look at it, my friend. Uh, let's get on out of here. Thanks, John. Have a good rest of the week. We're going to skip listener questions this week because we did them last week, but we will get to them next Friday because, again, we do those normally about three times a month, so we will do that next Friday. Uh, and if you still want to submit some questions to us to be answered on air for next Friday's listener questions, go ahead and do it, but we're going to get on out of here. We're going to enjoy the rest of the week, and I hope you all enjoy the rest of your week. Stay safe. Thanks for tuning in live. Thanks for listening after the fact. For John Sheeran, I'm Anthony Cazenza. We'll see you next time.